Right, welcome everyone. This is I Can't Believe I Just Watched This, uh, a podcast about movies, films, TV shows and anything in between that we can think of. Uh, this is episode number one. Uh, I am your host, Robert Broad. Uh, with me are my two co-hosts, Darren Haywood and Nathan Blair. Um, how are we, you guys? Um, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Good, 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 good. Anything interesting happen this week? Um, ourselves or? Well, not necessarily this week, but uh, I think one of the topics that we all wanted to touch on was um, Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> 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 and um, the associated um, likes, dislikes, criticisms by fans yeah. and critics alike. Yeah. Um, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a mixed bag in the words of Alan Partridge. Especially compared to the first uh, Wonder Woman film and her appearances in, in other DCEU films. Yeah, in the this, past. This, this was and this was unfortunately definitely her uh, weakest her weakest performance. Uh, right. For a film, not as the, not the actor, not Gal Gadot. I fucking love Gal Gadot. I would actually do anything for that woman. But that's not, that's, that's not the point here. Uh, no, comment. We, no comment from Nathan because he knows it's true. Again, no comment. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it definitely wasn't as good as the first one, um, which is a bit disappointing. I still gave an overrating of rate of rate of eight out of ten. So I thought it was a decent. I thought it was a fun film. It was a decent ride. Yeah, it just wasn't. It wasn't what it could have been. Yeah, I remember a couple of days ago saying um, I had a little glimpse of Rotten Tomatoes and they have a percentage score, the aggregate score, and I thought yeah. it's it's sort of low. Well, it is low, but I thought slightly unfair. I would have pushed it up yeah. at least about 10% more. I think it was at 62 the last time I saw it. So I think going around that 70% mark, 75, yeah. I think would have been more um fair more deserving of what the film uh, of how good the film actually was yeah in, definitely in my personal opinion um, has it gone down, has it gone down? yeah because when it came out it came out christmas day and uh the, the, apparently it did better in cinemas than tenant did although they haven't released the actual figures of how many people watched it on hbo funny. max so we, we already know right. what happened in the, we already know what happened in the cinemas not who watched it on hbo max but it's been theorized that it wasn't very high on HBO Max because of the streaming service and nobody really wanted to watch it. On oh, there, okay. they wanted to go to see it. But as we all know, at the moment, hardly any cinemas are open, so you've got no choice but to watch it online or... No, it's, it's, well, it's even more <laughs> difficult if you're here in the UK. Like, well, yeah. Our cinemas aren't open at all. Um, and if they are open, then what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the only option for us is to obtain it in a lawful and legal way online somehow pay for hbo max or something like that definitely to be fair as well i mean if the cinemas were open in this country um me personally i wouldn't really go and see a film on christmas day no i'd rather do the day. things that are planned or i mean there's usually no plan at all but i mean christmas day <laughs> itself is a plan i guess isn't it you yeah. know Christmas dinner, opening presents, um, watching su- suggestible films on uh, on diff- the different channels on TV. But I mean, um, one of the main criticisms that I've seen written about the film um, by fans and critics alike is the lack of action, which it's, possibly it's... contributed to the lack of of an even pace. I felt that the first film had a smoother pace. Yeah, so I was going to say there's there's a few pacing issues within eighty four um, yeah. that definitely could have been fixed. That the first the first part of the film fucking brilliant 
like as soon as it starts like after it ends after like young wonder woman what's it called when they do all the stuff the training bit yeah the competition basically like that's paced so well that's almost like perfect pacing and then after that it gets to modern day and it just goes downhill from there pacing wise so i couldn't i could not fault that first scene if i tried it's also the the thing with the the action that we did get um i mean this is going on to another point really but the tangent that we want to go on is that the action that we did get the things that she was doing um such as these new techniques of the lasso of truth and you know being able to make the the jet fighter that her and steve trevor were in invisible or mostly invisible whichever um it does kind of make you feel like they've obviously put put it in the movie because they haven't seen her do these iconic abilities of hers from the comics in the movies yet yeah but it's the same with the x-men films and certain characters there from all i can remember because they wrote so long ago is that when you start introducing new powers to existing characters or pre-existing characters in a prequel movie it does make people wonder why they didn't do that in the first place because then people's minds wander and they try and think well you know maybe if she made certain things invisible or whichever you know maybe the fight against doomsday would have been easier maybe maybe battles in the justice league movie against Mm. Wolf and the parademons would have been a bit easier if she was able to conceal the team or, you know, objects around them or stuff like that. And you kind of wonder why that wasn't introduced, yeah. you know, in a team up movie rather than a solo outing. I'm I'm not sure. It wasn't one of my biggest gripes of the movie, but I've just seen it made people are very aware of it online. Do you think yeah. do you think that it's them trying to cater to the fans too much? Like as I was as we've seen with the whole Disney versus Star Wars with the The Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker They've kind of like everyone's got their own opinion what they what they think of those films particularly, but from a critic's point of view, the films went downhill after the Last Jedi. If you want to go that route, could it be that D- DC has lower success with their films than Marvel does? So do you think that it could have been more fan service trying to cater to what fans want, but then going about it the wrong way? Fan service going about it the wrong way. It, to me, it kind of sums up the DCEU anyway. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'll I'll put it out there as you both both you guys know. I do love Marvel and DC, but I am more pro Marvel, I guess. Yeah. Um, only because I've followed it since the first Iron Man movie, which we're going to talk about in a bit. It's just I can't I can't really determine whether or not i'm subconsciously always going to make the comparisons because Hmm. the movies came out afterwards or if it's just me recognizing what i feel is sometimes a substandard quality a lack of quality with the movies and uh, and, you know i would use that to lead on to um what i'd like to call the steve trevor debacle (laughs) i don't know what the hell they did with his character in that film um i i I honestly thought that the trailers steve trevor was there i thought brilliant how the fuck are they going to do that but brilliant it looks looks so good it's gonna be amazing but no he's brought back and he's in some other guy's body well not even just fucking Wonder Woman just sees him instead of this actual guy. <laughs> it has to Who's be the Chris actual guy. Pine. It can't be anyone else. Or, yeah. you know, it could just be Chris Pine anyway. And that whole complication, because, I mean, you're watching the movie for the first time, which, you, you know, you guarantee you'll be doing as it hasn't been out that long. 
Yeah. As Nathan said earlier, Christmas Day wasn't too long ago, obviously. And okay, what the hell? You know what I mean? Mm. This is a new guy. And and he was, you know, repeating lines to her from the first film, I think. And she was, you know, catching up very quickly, which was a good thing. But then the bad thing was she never actually uttered the wish. And I feel like knowing DC's history, there's a big chance that there was a scene where she did it. And they decided to cut it and cut corners. Mm. And they always cut out the scenes that make parts of the movie or maybe the entire movie make zero sense which which dc have a habit of doing yeah um, like like with batman v superman dawn of justice lex knows who you all are how does he know we don't mm. know so we'll put it in or rather we do know but we'll inadvertently insult your intelligence yeah. by not including it in the movie in the finished product anyway you know and for possible listeners yes it sounds like i'm giving the dceu a bad time but no it's not from a simple point of yay marvel and boo dc comics no it's not from at all. a point of view that a lot of people have whether they're fans of either of the different comic companies or both of them it should be competitive they've had these characters access to all of these different characters for a lot longer than what disney marvel studios whatever entity it is has they aren't doing a good enough job and that's just me being brutally honest i don't think mm-hmm. they do a good enough job you also gotta remember that warner brothers when it comes to the dc films tv show they get involved a lot more than than disney do with marvel but like marvel right. go to, they go to disney and go this is that this is our concept what do you think and disney like Go for it. Whereas one of them like, nope, don't like this, don't like that, change this, change that. So there's too much that overbearing too much so it affects the film so you so Batman v Superman could have been a better film because it, it looked good from the trailers. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but a lot of people don't like the fight scene between Batman and Superman because it's not long enough or it's hardly a fight scene. Oh, your mum's name's this, so's mine. That's it. But they say fucking too much like my name's Martha. No, my yeah. name's Martha. My mum's so. name. <laughs> Who, the, who the fuck cares what your mum's name is? Like, just fucking get over it and go save the world. The <laughs> resolution should have been, you know, obviously recognising Lex Luthor as an... As, yeah. a, as a by that point in the movie to both of their characters, an obvious common threat. But I don't know if DC think that that's too Marvel or it's too obvious and they need to complicate things more. But that was definitely the wrong path to go down with them shouting at each other, you know, their mother's name or the stepmother's name, I guess, with uh, yeah. Superman. And and just, you know, ignoring the fact that there's this dangerous guy who, for the who for the most part, has been acting off the entire movie. Uh, maybe we should, you know, pay more attention to him but that was that wasn't the case i i, I like i don't know if you've seen a uh, the batman death in the family which is like the red hook the red hood storyline yeah robin well i thought i watched it and it was kind of more bruce wayne telling clark kent about what happened to robin and at the end of that they sit there and go yeah oh yeah if you go after rails i've got a contingency time to deal with you superman and then Superman's like well so so have i for you batman and they kind of laugh it off that was kind of funny but it's kind of like no, it sums up their relationship quite well. Oh, yeah, I, I can beat you, you can beat me, we're good, sort mm. of thing. But you don't see that in the film, like the Batman v Superman film. The animated films or the comics, you see that a lot more. Uh, he what? kills a lot of people as well. Yeah. I mean, everybody still has, you know, a lot of people have the uh, the right dump over uh, Superman killing Zod at the end of Man of Steel. Um, but then I think that gets pretty much overshadowed by the, by the fact that Batman's Batmobile seems to be singularly designed to <laughs> kill people. 
I mean, blow them to shit. There's a so, lot of fucking machine guns on that on that banner. There's deal. nothing on right. there, you know, to to suggest. And and I always harken back to the animated series that I watched growing up, as well as Batman Beyond. And and the fact that you know they would always use non-lethal means to you know apprehend a villain or a target or anybody, any sort of criminal, immediately goes all out. I mm. mean, there's no there's not really any detective work. Yeah. And then the film is supposed to be based on detective comics characters ignorantly defeat the point of yourselves by putting that sort of content in should have been a brilliant movie then that that was lost on me i'm kind of like i don't care and then the follow-up movie to that suicide squad you know was that's his own thing touching on suicide squad a bit but with batman the way he's like kind of seems overpowered with his weapons like in Suicide Squad, because they're all villains, you expect them to go out a killing mad spree. So if Harley Quinn starts beating the shit out of people and they die, you expect it. Whereas if Batman did that, you'd be like, what the hell? Yeah. To be, fair, to be yeah. fair, I still expect that from Batman. Well, yeah. But like he's always got this thing, I don't kill. Even though you think someone like the Joker, especially with the whole uh, Red Hood fiasco that happened, mm. you think, Joker, I want to kill you, I'm going to kill you sort of thing, which he never really does. But you kind of can see Red Hood's point, where it's like, you know, you didn't avenge my death, so, you know, yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it instead. It's just Robin being a pussy, really, isn't it? One version of Robin. But we, no, we've been here for a while debating about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to round to sort of round off Wonder Woman 84, um, yeah. Darren, actually, you uh, you tagged me in an article earlier. Yeah, I said that. Um, yeah, I did. So it's comic, comic book resources, the trusted source, that is comic book resources. <laughs> now, I, didn't, I didn't read the article. I just clicked on it. I read the first page and didn't bother with it. Uh, but... Steve Trevor has a better arc in Wonder Woman 84 than Cap does in the whole MCU. I, I don't understand how they've come to that conclusion, because um, it's just not the same at all. It's not the same. It's two completely different things. I was saying this to Darren yesterday when I saw the post, because I actually read it to see what they were saying. Yeah. And it's like... They're trying to say, from the point of view that with Captain America, you kind of, you don't see him, you don't see his adjustment from being in, being in a world war to being in the future. Like you see where he's kind of like, oh, what the fuck going on? You do, on? Though. Or, you do. No, you, you see it, but they don't touch on it. They go more like, oh, he's a soldier, I'm going to fight. They don't concentrate too much on what he's thinking or feeling or going through. Whereas with eighty four, they're trying to say that they focus on that more by showing his reaction to things oh, like the... escal- excavate. Uh, <laughs> what do you call them? The step, the movie step. Some some that. pointless comedy. That's what they showed him trying on four different outfits just to go out to the fucking mall. Which incredibly, which which usually is the case with DC EU humour, whether it's Joss Whedon behind it in Ugh. Justice League or whichever, it completely fell flat. Yeah. In the sense yeah. that I grinned, maybe I managed a slight chuckle or two yeah, after that. But it's not it's not I was out loud, loud humor. Well, isn't the person that everybody else is seeing. I renounced my wish. You never made the wish. So you didn't have to renounce fuck all. I, I but that, you- that whole article, which I did I did scroll, read, I did did read through their, what seemed to be their most pertinent points, if you can call it an article. Um, <laughs> I just call it banter whenever I read comic, is, book like stuff, said, yeah, comic book resources. Yeah, comic book resources. It's all the wet. They're yeah. kind of crap right about all the time. Um, um, so Chris Evans portraying Steve Rogers, Captain America, I think he does a hell of a lot better job than what Chris Pine has done so far with Steve Trevor. Obviously, the amount of films and the amount of airtime between the two is just non, you know, there's no comparison to make. But then, obviously, that leads to the question, why do sites like Comic Book Resources make that comparison at all? Yeah. Because it can't actually be made. Um, No, I thought he was sort of a... They they turned a kick-ass 
soldier from the first Wonder Woman film into um, bumbling comic relief, to be fair. And, and I know a lot of people that might listen to this might go, fuck you, that's not true. <laughs> and I'm like, you need to rewatch the movie because you're fucking wrong. Sorry. <laughs> if you don't think that that's the case, you are wrong. First episode, and I'm already going very bold. I think it's just, I, uh, I genuinely do think it's sometimes, like I said, is banter. I think it's a winder yeah. when people make these articles. But no, it's just outright wrong. Yeah. I don't even know what to say about it because I, it gets, it got me so infuriated. Now that we're talking about it again, I just <laughs> feel that, that pro Marvel fury <laughs> building up again. It, um, like, it could be it could be like I said earlier it could be a fan feel like someone I don't know who writes the comic book resources maybe it's a fan who writes it's it it's definitely not a fan it's someone employed who's paid money to write clickbait clickbait articles right yes. yeah, okay so, so there you go there's your answer it's a clickbait article so the idea that they're, they're trying to drum up I don't know yeah, so that's literally all the comic book resources is. It's all just clickbait. Which is what a lot of videos on YouTube are. You click on them, yeah. you watch them, oh, They make their money. Yeah, they do. But no, uh, everyone out there, though, go watch Wonder Woman 84. Like, see what you make of it. Like, obviously, we can that's only not. give our opinions. And yeah. At the end of the day, now, I, I will go through these other points quickly just before we get to Iron Man. Richard Donner, director of the very first Superman film, has claimed in an article uh, that he did with The Telegraph, he doesn't like modern day superhero films. Quite much like uh, Martin Scorsese, but in the same breath, very slightly different. He doesn't like how cynical and depressing they are and how everything's dark and bleak and angry and it's like, oh my God, I hate life. I have to go and save the world, but it's all miserable. Um, he, he feels like it's lost their sort of, not their fun factor, the the reason why they are superhero films to, they should be joyful and happy and stuff like that. But I, I, I would have to disagree with him, to be quite honest, uh, because I quite like the grayness and the darkness that, especially, well, let's say all of DC. <laughs> all, of, <laughs> all of their films are dark and gritty uh, and which I quite like unlike the Marvel films where they are a bit more joyful and, and he was comparing Dawn of Justice no he wasn't yeah he was he was comparing BVS Dawn of Justice to Avengers Endgame and you A you, you can't compare the two there's just no comparison at all both films are fucking brilliant. Some would say one is better than the other. <laughs> I'm sure most people are right. However, I do very much like BVS. But I think, I think the people working on the International Space Station would say that Avengers <laughs> Endgame is massively better, um, for lack of a better adjective than BVS but you know that's just my opinion and the opinion of all the people on the international space yeah. station so but he was he was saying yeah. when you're saying when you see like superhero films done good they're good but he was also he also stated that it, his standards as well he was mentioning how his standards i mean to, uh, richard donner's standards aren't everyone else's fucking standards like people expect different things you can't just keep things the way you want them they have things have to change because martin scorsese he said they're they're like roller they're like theme park rides but and he was asking the interviewer was asking what um what richard donner had thought of um Martin Scorsese's points and gone, and he said, and this is a quote: uh, "Well, I'd like to be able to make one of those theme park rides." Now the man's almost eighty years old. I, I think it would be quite interesting if we were to actually come back and maybe not direct one, but have some sort of influence in making another Superman film, maybe like Man of, Man of Steel 
Man of Steel 2, which I feel like would be interesting. That would yeah. be pretty interesting. But I think that, that, that again, it's superhero films. Um, like Martin Scorsese uh, said before, I, I think that directors such as themselves that have made, you know, classic yeah. films in the past that will live on forever. Yeah, I mean, um, Martin Scorsese's films, at the end of the day, are all the fucking same film, which, to be honest, he's a great director. He's a great writer, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean, he he hasn't insane. done any kind of variation. No, I mean... Look at Lucas Cage. When he acts like people say Nicholas Cage, he acts the Nicholas same Cage in every, is, single, every single film. Nicholas Cage, you like him or not. Nicholas Cage is is an icon. The best minute of film in the entire world is Nicholas Cage reciting the alphabet. I mean, my favourite thing is him <laughs> is him screaming, "Not the bees, not the bees!" But, is, that the, uh, is that in the Wicker Man? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, that's in the Wicker Man. But uh, and and how simultaneously terrifying and hilarious that scene mm. is, um, which already makes him a genius actor in my books. If he doesn't win an Oscar in his lifetime, he definitely needs a contribution to film award because well, he's, done, he's done some absolute shit, but he's done some absolute bangers. And the amount of things he's done, whether people like it or not, I think he's definitely he's definitely someone that needs to be regarded quite highly, I think. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not one of the worst actors out there. I'm sure there are actors who are a lot worse than him. It's just a case of people just don't, a lot of people just don't like the fact that he acts the same in almost every film he does, with little variation. Well, it's, well, it's you know, the, the Rock is the most uh, paid actor, yeah. highest paid actor isn't he in the world, and he's essentially the same character in exactly. all his films. He does the, he... Yes, they do give him some comedic twists when he's done yeah. films starring with Kevin Hart and other actors and actresses, but he is still The Rock, and if mm. you're like me, who is a WWE fan, um, and watched it when it was the ref at the time back in the Attitude mm. era of the 90s, um, yeah. the, the little nuances to his character, as well as the full-blown, you know, over-the-topness of... Um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character in WWE. Yeah. Known him since then, so it's kind of as I have that unfortunate stigma attached to it where you kind of think, yes, he's the same. And I'd I'd say the same with actors like Jason Statham and, and that as well. They they are basically if he's not driving a car fast or shooting people, he basically won't be in the film. Yeah, um, I agree. You know. I'd love it if like Disney with their live action reboots, if they did a live action reboot of Aristocats and mm. one of the one of the That'd male, be good. one of the male cats was voiced by Jason Statham, but I don't think that that's gonna but... probably not. <laughs> no. But going back to uh, Rob's original bullet point about when you were saying about superhero movies. Yeah, being... Richard Donner basically he yeah. doesn't like modern superhero films, but he uh, he likes the Avengers Endgame a little bit more than he does BBS. But apparently they've both got some good points. But he'd like, at the end of the day, he'd like to make he'd like to make yeah. a modern superhero film, even though which would be which would be interesting to see. But I think yeah. whether you like modern superhero films or not, I think that it's, it, they're better if they're done right. So people will argue. I'm sure everyone's going to disagree with this point a little bit, but people will argue that Marvel's done a much better job with superheroes than DC. But is that purely because of it's, the way it's, Disney operates or and the way yeah, Warner's operate? It's a hundred percent the people behind the scenes, the creative team, and what they want to write and what they don't want to write and what they and who they get and all that it's the it's the whole creative process at the end of the day you can't i don't think you can pin 
pinpoint it down to one specific thing. I think it's the general whole process of what happens to do with that film. I can see what you're saying, but I think a lot of people might disagree with that point only from the case of if you compare films to video games. So with video games, for example, like the best example I can think of is Cyberpunk because everyone's slamming that game at the moment. But it's based That's on because the fact there's loads of issues with it. Oh, no, I know. But the, 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 same, the reason why the game was rushed has got nothing to do with the developers because they were saying, oh, this, this is wrong with the game. But the people above them, so the investors and whoever, and the, the top people in the company, they were like, don't care, get the game out. They are part of the creative process. No, but, yeah, but I think people see people. Some people are saying that the uh, developers of the game are getting slammed by yeah. people online, but it's not wholly their fault. It's the people. That no, that, and unfortunately, the people whose fault it isn't, they still get the they still get the flat. Whereas yeah. it's it's not pinpointed towards the actual people who've made the decisions, which have unfortunately made whether it be a game, a song, a film, a TV show, whether yeah. it's been made and it's come out a bit shit. It's 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 an overarching whole. Uh, everybody involved should yeah. get should get the flack, but they don't. It's only certain people, which is not right. I mean, but. whether you, whether you like Wonder Woman 18, 1984 or any of the DC films, like even if the film, say Green Lantern, for example, not many people like Green great Lantern. Film. Fucking well, great. Well, I, li- I like Green Lantern. I like it from the point of view is I like the story of the film, even if the film itself isn't the best film. Okay, great film. The, the, the film, but they like the actor. And the, what's your opinion on the fact that the, uh, I can't think of a name, the lady who directs Wonder Woman. Patty she's Jenkins. Gonna, Patty, that's the one, Patty Jenkins. She's going to be directing the animated, it's one of the Star Wars ones. It's the animated Star Wars, the Ray Skywalker saga. She's going to be directing it. What is your take on that? Oh, because I know she's going to be doing Rogue Squadron, which is a live-action Star Wars film. Yeah, but she did an animated one for... Um, okay, also, I, don't, I don't fucking care. I really couldn't give a and shit. Nicole Kid- and Nicole Kidman's playing Ray Skywalker in it as well. They're not bringing in uh, Daisy Ridley. She's kind of left Marvel. Yeah, to be quite honest, I don't give a fuck who directs a film. Like, as long as it's good, it's good. It's no, because you want to talk about female directors. I was going to say, what's your opinion on it? Because you want to talk about female directors in films. I get your point, but it wasn't necessarily about female directors. It was more their statistics. But, but yeah, if... Yeah, I'm happy for her. Like, hopefully she does a banging job. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it goes well. Darren, your opinion? <laughs> I mean, it's the. I'm looking at the bullet points here, and it, it is unfortunate that she's one of the uh, small amount of women that represents 16. percent Yeah, 16 of, of directors directors in of the 100 highest films of 2020. It sucks, man. That that really does suck. Um, yeah, compared to 2019, which was 12 percent, and then 2018, fucking 4 percent. maddening. It's no, better, I, but it's not good enough. No, I think, it's, it's, it's directing that hard. I think, well, at the end of the day, yes, it is. Um, yeah, well, that's not that's not really a, a brilliant yeah, thing to say. No, is no. directing that hard. It's, yeah, it's a bit like you comparing them male drivers to female drivers. Mate, I've seen some shocking male drivers driving yes. the fucking Audis and the Benzes down the road and they can't, they don't indicate, they fucking cut you off and all crap. So it's, yeah, it's not a point whether uh, they can direct whether it's a hard job or not, because it, it is just like driving a car is hard. It's not. All right, let, let me rephrase, rephrase it. Is it as hard? When I say is it a hard job, I'm gonna, I mean, more from the point of view, is it hard? Like, like with, for example, in the RAF, it's harder to be a pilot with your male or female. The majority of the pilots are male. It's like I've got a friend who's a pilot in the RAF and she was telling me it's stupidly hard for women to become pilots in the RAF. So I'm saying, is it the same kind of stigma 
being a director? I, I as think, in, is it hard from that point of view? Going okay, going off what you're saying, then I think regardless of so any job for a female getting into it is harder because of how much privilege and say males have in each industry. So I think being a female director, there's a lot more pressure and it's a lot harder to get those roles directing big Hollywood blockbusters. But I think I think some of them who've done fucking brilliantly. Have, I think Patty Jenkins, for what she's done, she's done a pretty bang up job so far. And then you've got The Eternals, which is coming out next year, is it? Uh, yeah, next year it comes out. Uh, this this year now. Sorry, this year. Yeah, this year. Well, this year. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Zhao is directing that. I'm sure that's going to be good. Yeah. Kate, Kate, whatever her name is, is directing in fucking um black widow that looks sick um so i think there's definitely an upturn and upturn in female directors who are giving it their best go and doing the best they can but uh, at the end of the day obviously it's not it's not enough there's not enough representation behind the camera um or behind the scenes for females because i was reading the whole article and even writers and other people just within the creative process the percentages are so, so low. Um, I just think it needs to be better. But I think it's it's, it's going to take a while to get there. But at the moment, the directors that we have and what films they're doing, I think they're doing a pretty stellar job. Yeah. So say, could, it also be, could it also be, with the statistics, could it also be a case of the fact that a lot of companies, say like D- Disney have said it a lot purely because of what happened with Star Wars especially, but... You know, they only want to use well-known directors. So if there's not many female well-known directors, that could be worth I think as well. I think Disney actually tend to take risks on a lot of their directors because a lot of them haven't done very much or, they, or they've done a few things and they haven't made loads of blockbusters or many high-grossing films. I think it's the quality of their work is what they look at more than can you make a blockbuster. I think it's can you give us the quality that we want? Can you fit within these parameters? But being a female, it's even harder. But uh, ho- hopefully, though, like she she is doing an animated Star Wars series. Like she does a she does a cracking job. And any other female director, uh, I wish them luck. But no, so right. Um, on to the main the main meal of the of the show. Uh, we have decided that we're for at least the however many episodes it is to begin with the twenty the first twenty odd. Uh, we are going to go through the MCU uh, in their release order, not in their chronological order. Because fuck you, who wants their chronological order? We we'll do it how we like. Well, we're starting with Iron Man, and then obviously after after this we've got the Incredible Hulk. But yeah, Iron Man. Uh, released in 2008, I think it was April uh, or May, I can't remember which one. But yeah, directed by John Favreau, who previously made a couple of made-for-TV movies, but he also made three um, cinema-released movies, uh, which are Made, Elf, and then Zephora. But the yeah. the budget for Iron Man, but no, the budget was 140 million. Oh yeah, here we go. The fourth of May was their opening weekend. Now domestically, over that weekend, they took 98.6 million. We have an up-to-date total gross worldwide uh, number which is $585,366,247 so for what 10 for 12 years making almost 600 million for the very first MCU film that's that's a very good profit but no now uh, I am going to ask though uh, Darren or Nathan you can either you can either one of you can answer but uh, what was the story of Iron Man 2008 so um, Tony Stark is introduced 
as the successor of the defence contractor Stark Industries from his father, Howard, who was introduced in later films by different actors. And it all starts off in war-torn Afghanistan, um, where you're also introduced to other characters like Rhodey and Ho Yinsen, who is his co-captive in the caves of Afghanistan, where he initially runs into trouble with the Ten Rings terrorist organisation through several encounters with them, has to build the first Iron Man suit, which is almost basically a life replica of what the first Iron Man suit is in the yeah. comics, yeah, definitely. which is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, they didn't bother making it gold first before giving him his more slender red and gold. I think it would be the well, Mark but, III but, um, but, uniform. Believe it or not, there, there is, I was looking at this earlier, there is a bit where Jarvis has the suit just as all gold. Yes, but, they, but the, the Mark I, um, which is in the, the movie, uh, which is, you know, just all made from the different spare parts. Yeah, the case. Um, yeah, which the, the car battery still powers. He, in the comics, I think, uses, he has a gold version of that as uh, okay. an suit before realising that it's too clunky um, yeah. to fight a lot of his villains and fight crime in the comics so he uses the red and gold more slender yeah, unit yeah. but yeah essentially um, Ho Yin Sen who's played by the actor Sean Taub ends up dying in the cave as they escape um, I love with with his death scene as well obviously incredibly sad another character that I did not want to die but obviously furthered his Tony Stark's um, yeah. attitude and opinion then to what Stark Industries is actually doing in the world mm. um, as, a, as a defense contractor um, but I love the twist where he already explained previous to that that he was from Golmira. I love the twist where he said that he's going to see his family again because mm. he assumed his family was alive. Yeah, no, uh, he was taken captive. Dead. Unfortunately, the Ten Rings decimated. Yeah. Do you know what really annoyed me? Actually, sorry to cut you off. I was watching it today. He's helping Tony put his suit on. He's the the progress bar is about half full. The the terrorists are on the way down the cave. The two get there. They try to open the door. They get blown up. He's like, oh no, they're they're all coming, they're all coming, like, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. He fucking runs out with a madman, shooting the air for no fucking reason at all than to die. And it really annoyed me, because if he'd have just picked up a gun, stayed with Tony for five minutes, and then if they'd seen someone, shot from where he was, next to Tony, everything would have been fine, and he wouldn't be dead. So you, you mean, like, if he was Stark's protector while the suit was powering up, rather than... Yes. Yes, uh, just, uh, exactly. you know a madman distraction yeah um, I think to be honest I think part of that might have been the fact that I don't think it's explained in the film but he may have thought that because he'd been captive there so long that any sort of escape attempt would be futile and the fact that they were two geniuses building a suit of powered armour but you, you are essentially creating something that has never really been built before um, and is it going to work is it not going to work so maybe Yin Sen thought the latter rather than the former but I think that was that decision of his to run out like with a madman with his assault rifle um, firing everywhere I think that was basically so he could actually see his family again I think that was kind of tying up that bow yeah. um, with that scene later on though in the film you're introduced to Tony Stark's personal assistant Virginia Pepper Potts played by Gwyneth Paltrow who puts his original reactor in a small glass showcase which is featured yes. later on in the film and you're and also introduced to 
does have a heart. Yes, and you're also introduced to, be ha- uh, to the man behind the camera who's also in front of the camera simultaneously. Yes, um, indeed. John Favreau. Um, do, is do, such tell a, you what, he, like when, when he got... little fun fact about John Favreau. When he got the call back to say, yes, uh, you're directing Iron Man, he went yeah. on a diet and lost 70 pounds. He did. Like, that class. That's class. Because... Back in his early days, when he was doing films such as Swingers and Made uh, in the 90s, he was actually quite quite a skinny lad. Yeah, um, he was. He was. And he obviously beefed up a bit, got a bit fatter. But no, he, he then went on the diet for this and got slim again. And he looks he looks good. Uh, I mean, well, he still he's, kept he's, the whole bodyguard yeah, um, yeah. Kind, of, kind of hefty physique that uh, Harold Happy Hogan yeah. um, required. I mean, you're, you're, introduced in, you're introduced to some more minor characters which do reappear in further films as well. The, the two that spring to mind are um, Christine Everhart, who I think reports for the company's called Vanity Fair, I think. Yeah. And um, Clark Gregg, who... Oh, Filled, who is yeah. the, the sing, one of the single most important characters in all of the MCU? 100%. He is your introduction to Shield. Yeah. He is your introduction to how they work, how they operate, what the agents look like, what they are qual- what they are. Um, I, I, re- I realised when I was watching today, his suit is almost a bit too big for him. Like his trousers are massive. <laughs> his trousers and his suit jacket are massive. Like, honestly, it could be. De- I reckon that could have gone down two sizes um, for, for him to fit in that. Properly. But when, yeah, I, I haven't missed out the film's villains, though, by the way. You are obviously introducing the film by this point, and before some of the characters I mentioned. The marvellous Jeff Bridges plays the centric villain of the movie, Orbidea Stain, who doesn't refer to himself as it, but I think it is made canon through MCU tie-in comics and later films, where he is Ironmonger. The suit that he wears is Ironmonger. He says to Tony Stark, we are Ironmongers, um, when he, after he makes the shot news announcement that he is closing down uh, the defence contract and part of Stark Industries um, and focusing more on the uh, peacekeeping arc reactor technology. Originally, I think the the original um, idea for Obadiah Stane, his character would be played out over a trilogy of Iron Man films. Oh, okay. And he would start off as the ally that you see him in the film and as the you know uh, uh, primary shareholder and advisor to Tony you know who's obviously a lot younger than him and, mm. and in, in originally being a friend of Howard as well but I think that I think he was supposed to play out over three different films and Iron Man was supposed to face different villains uh, and well, it the, was sort the, of uh, the Mandarin was it, supposed to be originally in Iron Man 1 yes and I think they were supposed to use villains like Crimson Dynamo and possibly Titanium Man I'm not sure I'm not sure how comic accurate or, or whatever they were supposed to make those characters but Obadiah Stane was supposed to be present in all three of the movies and his friendly advisor to Villainar was supposed to be captured over those three films yeah. and he would wear the Ironmonger suit of armour and fight Tony in his Iron Man suit at the end of the third film looking back I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that because yeah, it wouldn't have made much sense because they, they still didn't technically introduce I mean Mandarin is supposed to be introducing the Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings film um, out in July, I think, this year. So he is Iron Man's big bad. He's an Avengers villain um, as well, but he is Iron Man's main adversary from the comics. And also, he's very special compared to all of Iron Man's archenemies and villains, mm. his rogues gallery. That's what I was trying to think of then, rogues gallery. Because most of Iron Man's villains are either using technology that's reverse-engineered from Stark's own suit and, suit and other suit designs, or are just trying to 
replicate it in their own way. So they're not using his designs, they're using their own designs, but it just happens to, you know, rival Iron Man's uh, powers and Tony's suit. So I'm glad that they, because they did that idea for the first two movies anyway, thankfully not for the third, um, because I like a bit of, me personally, I like a bit of, you know, originality in, in who the villains are. I'm glad that they didn't go that sort of route. But I absolutely love Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane slash mm. Iron Man. I, I, I think, think he's in, brilliant. In- I think in general the whole cast is pretty stellar. It's, I think yeah. everyone does a great job in what role they've been given. But I, I don't I think as well. Christine Everhart was played by Leslie Bibb. Sorry to cut uh, okay. you off. No, no, Got to okay. give the actors their dues. It doesn't matter <laughs> who they are, man, woman, whatever. Got to give the actors their dues because this film is mm. so fantastic. And it is. Uh, Farhan Tahir plays um, Raza, who is shown as possibly the leader of the Ten Rings in that film. But I think in the Shang Chi film, if he's mentioned, because I don't think they actor reprises his role like they do flashbacks or anything like that I'm not sure but I think they, they're basically like terrorist cells so yeah, Raza I was going to say that's how they did it I think that's what they're going because if you remember in later Iron Man films when they mentioned like say the Mandarin it's almost like even though it is what it is well, how it turns out to be it kind of is kind of like it's a different cell from the one that was in the original film well I think in that film it, it isn't actually the, the Ten Rings at all is it mm, the, nice. the whole thing is made a charade by Aldrich Killian and aim so I think advanced idea mechanics is the main villain there really yeah. um, but sticking with, sticking with the first Iron Man film I think I've mentioned all of the actors and the characters they play apart from the main cameo at the end the post credit scene which is yes. uh, Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury and you can delve further into S.H.I.E.L.D. His character was obviously based on the the Marvel Ultimates comic imprint version of yeah. Nick Fury yeah um not the previously played David Hasselhoff version. That would have been and, but, um, I, I tell you actually, I tell you what, if they if they had a gone with something similar rather than the Ultimates version, just thinking about it now, at the end of Justice League, when you see Blazing. Joe Manganello, I think yeah. how Joe Manganello looks there. How his hair is the slightly grey, the little beard. I think that if they were to do normal Nick Fury, I think he could have been and gone for it. Just based on yeah. that look. Just based on that look. They, they, they could have. Obviously, that film was really X amount of years after that. So, yeah. but um, I, I, yeah. I do get that. What, what are you guys' opinions on you know Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark, Iron Man? I, I think, in? I think RDJ does a brilliant job. Obviously, he's had his problems in the past with drug and alcohol abuse, and he's been into yes. rehab. John Favreau said, right, look, give him a chance. He's, he's a great actor. He can do the job. Just let him do it. I think that was the best. That was the best move that Disney has made that is like right okay we we trust you we trust your opinion do it let's see what happens i i think if it was anybody else looking back at it i don't think it would have worked so out sam rockwell who comes in to iron man 2 he was initially on the roll call for for potentially being tony stark and i think that would have been a massive blunder if that were to happen i really don't think as good as actor sam rockwell is I think it would have been a massive faux pas and it just would not have worked as well. But RDJ really, 
he embodies Tony Stark. I think you, you obviously, you know, when you earlier on when you were saying about Disney not taking risks, I mean, obviously Disney weren't, weren't in charge of you know, yeah. Marvel Studios as a Disney didn't exist back then. Paramount was doing the uh, uh, had the film distribution rights. Yeah, uh, and I think rights overall. But yeah, it, it's it's still a factor that he was a massive risk. Yeah, that John Favreau wanted personally and other people wanted personally, but yeah. he was a massive risk to to be the main character and essentially even though obviously they didn't have massive plans of what the franchise would be mm. um, and and if then that they would even be an MCU at all the fact that it's you know and still does uh, effectively even though obviously his character being killed off rest all of the MCU on his shoulders yeah um he was obviously the right person to do it the 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 only wrong person um in this film not just because of subsequently what happened when Iron Man 2 came rolling around <laughs> was Terence Howard now, I don't, James Rhodey Rhodes Lieutenant I don't think he does too bad a job in this no um, no um, de- I don't think so either no I think he definitely does a good job I'm not sure whether Don Cheadle is any better to be honest I feel he, like they're I've, I've, he's, he's Don Cheadle Don Cheadle I think is a is overall generally a better actor but I don't think he's necessarily done a better job than Terence Howard could have done. But obviously Terence Howard had to go because he wanted fucking a bazillion dollars. I was going to say, yeah, he luckily Don Cheadle was happy with having less money. Yeah. But in the sense that he recognised that a film called Iron Man is not a film called War Machine. No. Um, which he doesn't even suit up in the movie anyway. No. So you 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 didn't get this whole thing of you know well Terence Howard was War Machine, which I'm not sure if that was in early plans of script development for the first Iron Man film. I'm not sure. The weird thing is, is that I think, and I I could be really wrong about this, but I think I've read an article before where Don Cheadle was an actor in the running for the first Iron Man film. Oh, okay. And it's it's weird because Mark Ruffalo was an actor in the running for The Incredible Mm, Hulk. Yeah. So you would would have weirdly had a lot more continuity actor-wise, character-wise. But luckily, obviously, those actors lasted the one movie and mm. he wasn't the main character, even though mm. he thought he was um, in in this film. Um, yeah. But like you said, I think he did a great job in the movie. I think he brought the it, it, it was a brilliant contrast with the seriousness of him, jokey kind of almost class clown kind of style of. Mm. of Tony Stark you know the irres- irresponsible yeah. behaviour of him um, and also it was a you can argue that Iron Man 2 was as well but the first Iron Man film was a arc of him basically finding out his true purpose mm. in life and finding out that there are things that he cares about more than money and fame and booze and girls. There, there are stuff, you know, beyond the rock star lifestyle that he was living for like the, the, the better half, more or less, or first quarter of the original movie. Yeah. And I think they did that very well because immediately things are thrown on top of him and he is thrust into these responsible roles that he has yeah. to abide by. You know, just like when he when he saves Goldmira, for example. Mm. Later in the film, and he does the awesome firing the single rocket at the tank, turning and slowly walking away. Yeah, I mean, that, that's iconic. That's an iconic part of the MCU. That was obviously an iconic part of that movie. Yes, he's in the suit, blah blah blah, and a CGI involved, but Downey still made that. DJ still made that because even if it wasn't him in the actual suit, what you'd seen of the character with him in or out of it beforehand, you knew that he was going to pull off something as cool as that walk away. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that's what he did. Exactly. Also, he showcased quite a lot of his weapons. I mean, you're talking about only three different suits being introduced. Obviously, his Mark One from the um, the spare parts that mm-hmm. him and him and Ho Yinsen helped to build to escape the cave at the start of the movie. Then you've got the Mark Two, which he tries and hilariously falls um, to certain cars' deaths. Yeah. Which I doubt, to be honest, he was bothered with at that point either. To be honest, um, to just buy them again. And then obviously Mark Three with the with the standard, the traditional red and gold that we've all mm. come to know from the comics. The amount of weapons that he had, I thought, was awesome. They didn't just stick with him, you know, using the arc reactors in the hands and, no. and blasting things. I don't, in. I don't think they overdid it either. They, no, they could have really given him two. Too much, but yeah. I think I think there was ju- there was a good amount for it to not be overwhelming. No, and that's that's that that goes on to my next point with you saying not overwhelming because his weapons seem to are obviously offensive weapons like the missiles and things, but they seem to be more as a defense. And yes. when especially when you compare it to Obadiah Stane's Iron Manga suit, yeah, that skeleton you know has uh, overloaded to the max. Yeah, it's it's just the size of it. And that's a, makes it that's, an, that's, a, that's an offensive that's an that's an offensive whereas yeah. yeah what you're saying is tony stark's iron man suit that is the defensive but it's still like poorly made as when he flies mm. up and you know you know did, 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 did he figure out the ice problem basically mm. uh, no he didn't great line. so <laughs> so yeah um but what the other part that i like about it as well which i i think some people didn't like around the time was that he doesn't necessarily finish the fight um in his suit of armor he has bits of it on him but the majority of it have been blown away and destroyed but the point of that is to show that his human side has progressed exactly. hence where i said it's that arc that story arc over the movie the where he has regained his humanity from all of the fame and fortune that his that stark industries had made him over the years yeah. So I think brilliant. Brilliant movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think overall, solid cast, solid story. As a starting point, I don't think they could have done any better, to be honest. I th- obviously, it can be better, because it's not a perfect film. It's I by any way, shape, or form. But I think it's where they started. I think they they really hit the ground running, and they well, what they did what they wanted to do. I mean, Darren already touched on it a bit with Obadiah Stane, how he's different from how he's originally been free, potentially in three films, and then you know he was and he was only in the one. But what do you think about how they changed the film from the comics? Because like or the cartoon? Because obviously in the comics he doesn't really go around saying I am Iron Man, which he does in the first film. I I do, like that though. I think I was going to say, do do you think it's like it, that was a good way to go. Or do you think it might have kind of the film could have improved or been better if they would have saved no. his reveal till later along in the Marvel films? With, with, with your first point, with any film, a superhero film, it, it can't be like the comics too much because no, it's just not. not it's not possible uh, no, no. to happen. And the second point where you make him revealing himself as Iron Man at the very end, I I think I think that's the best bit of the film. I think that's my favorite part. Like genuinely, I love everything else, but I honestly think that that's my favorite part of the film. Like it's it's so it's so iconic, and I think that's also quite possibly one of the top five moments of the whole MCU so far. Definitely, I agree. And how I mean. And also, with with like the story arc I was saying about just now, it, it, it all shows that yes, he's regained a lot of humanity back, uh, but he is still Tony Stark, yeah, and he is still Iron Man, and it's a very stark move for him to make. You could almost say that it wasn't a stark contrast to what. <laughs> 
Tony. Brilliant. No, let's just not say that. Did, did, uh, you, did you not hear my arc reactor pen earlier? Did you not hear my arc reactor <laughs> pen earlier? That bullet pointed down. That was my single bullet point cue. I mean... No, I, <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. No, very, I, I agree with that. Um, I, that's one of my favourite points of the movie. My other favourite point of the movie is where he thinks Stan Lee is Hugh Hefner. That's another part of it. <laughs> You know, that was the start of Stan Lee's let's iconic be real. Let's, let's be real. We, we, everyone, every Marvel fan believes that Stan Lee is the Hugh Hefner of Marvel. He's in almost every he Marvel is. film. Coolness alone, on the cool scale, he essentially is. An, point, an important point to note as well is I'm, I'm not sure if he was playing as himself or as a character. I, don't, I think it was just um, him being himself. But um, there was supposed to be a scene where Stark briefly stayed in Dubai after he escaped the caves in Afghanistan before returning back to the States. The the rapper and Wu-Tang Clan member, Ghostface Killer, um, was supposed to have a cameo during his stay in Dubai but the scene was cut from the theatrical release for pacing reasons. I kind of think that that was the right move to make. Uh, and that's yeah, comp- yeah. obviously nothing against Ghostface Killer or any of the other members of the Wu-Tang Clan. I obviously sound like your biggest fan. But I think you you that's, that, that leads me to the point of pacing. I think the pacing in that film was great. I think it's a I very well paced film. Bits where they really left out. And I think the bits that they did leave out, like, the, like that, for, ex- for an example him staying in Dubai was to be honest I prefer that because you were never detracted away from the story it didn't matter who was on the screen who was getting airtime or whatever you you never got detracted from the story and you 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 always you were always suspicious of Obadiah Stane you always wanted Gulmira to be saved that never went away mm. they kept all these points on point. The great thing that they carried on doing with further MCU films down the line, basically all of the MCU films, was it doesn't tie up every loose end, but the loose ends that it doesn't tie up are loose ends that are created at the end of the movie, rather than what I feel is the DC's pacing, where there are a thousand loose ends, but I feel like with Iron Man, I mean, it, it got a on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 94% part of, the, part of the reviews I think the critics and fans made on that site was, and other sites was you know, the, the pacing was pretty much spot on. You never, you never got lost. You never got confused. You never, you never got put into a place where you were forgetting about vital details to the the main story. Um, they didn't put too many side stories in, you know, like they did with you know Batman mm. and Superman to the point where we have to remember their mothers' names. What mm. the hell? Nobody gives a fuck about that. It was just solid storytelling from start yeah. to finish with ACDC in there as well. <laughs> I wasn't going to forget about that. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for a film that well, came out I was taking the oh, was Iron Man. <laughs> Solid 9 out of 10 from me Solid 9 out of 10 Oh, definitely. Nine out of ten. Yeah, Nine point five out of ten if we can do decimals. Sure, sure. Are we allowed? <laughs> Gig for it. Then, uh, oh, I almost forget. I almost forgot one uh, brilliant introduction in this film as well, which was Paul Bettany voicing Jarvis. Yes. Stark. Wow. Yeah, yes. I almost forgot. I don't know the hell I forgot that because I've been watching the trailer for WandaVision he, day, you know, every day. I tell you what, Paul Bettany, he only worked for two hours on Iron Man on the first Iron Man film. Yeah. Uh, just as a favour for John Favreau, and he didn't think anything would cut of it. And look at him now. Look at him. He's more than a personal AI system now, isn't he? <laughs> and he he, uh, he did the two hours work, and then I read somewhere that with the money he made, he went on holiday with his wife afterwards. Oh right, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
straight away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, fair enough. But no, o- overall, yeah. Iron Man, yeah. ca- can't fault it. C- top class film. Well, it's the, um, it's the birth of the MCU as we know it now. Yeah, I think. Because uh, obviously, the MCU have tried to do films like before Iron Man. They tried to do films and it was always a bit hit and miss. Yeah, and then obviously Iron Man came along, and maybe a big part of that was casting Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. But no, like but even, uh, even now, like there's the speculation about we're not going to go into I won't go too much into it, but the speculation about will he yeah. come back in some way in future films, whether it's multiverse or as I was saying to Darren yesterday, there's a theory that he's going to come back as a Jarvis type character, so he's going to be like the voice of it's going to be yeah. Robert Downey Jr.'s voice as like a Jarvis type character. Like helping not just the future Iron Man or Iron Heart if that's the route they go because they're doing Iron Heart TV show, but the legacy of Iron Man will he'll help future heroes. Yeah, now, you, know, you could say he started the MCU and then he helps develop it for the next generation after he's gone. Mm-hmm. Anything if they go that route, that is. But no, uh, very well done to everyone involved in the making of that film. You did a stellar job. That sort of wraps it up, really. So that was our episode for today. Iron Man 2008, uh, first MCU film. Yeah, next 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 time I believe we're talking about the incredible hulk which was released after iron man only a couple of months though um so there's not really much in it so we'll be talking about that next so obviously come back and listen but just before we go before we actually end the show i've got something for you george lucas kill ranch basically (laughs) i've come george lucas he's he's a wild man he's a wild wild man some people love him some people hate him he's a bit like marmite he seems like the type of person who would have a ranch and he would go hunting and killing people for sport on that ranch i am tasking you two every week to come up with a celebrity and we're going to do it the first one's obviously going to be right now so you don't really have much time to think about it you're going to pick a celebrity they are going to be pitted against each other uh, on George Lucas's Kill Ranch, you have to decide between yourselves who would make it out alive and who George Lucas would probably kill. Who would you pick? Do we, have to, do, do, do we have to know their name, real name, or can we use that uh, comic character name if we don't know their real name? I mean, if you don't know their real name, I'm pretty sure I could quickly Google it or I could uh, I could know it. But ideally, it's the actual celebrity. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um, uh, I'm gonna go with Nicole Kidman. Right, right. Darren. And I'm gonna go with Tom Cruise. See what I mean? Interesting. <laughs> So we've got Nicole Kidman <laughs> and Tom Cruise. Now, were they were they not both in the film where they rode a motorbike? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I okay. think the film is it was Seven Nights or something like that. Riding a motorbike. Seven days. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you got Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. Who escapes? Who does George? Who does? Who does uh, George Lucas kill? Well, I, I think it's probably save Nicole Kidman. I reckon. Now, now I will say he is oh. not say he is not necessarily saving anyone. It's oh. just one person escapes, one person gets offed. Well, I mean, he's a obviously psychopath. obviously he's trying so, to kill them both. He's trying to kill them both, but someone someone escapes. Oh, someone escapes. Okay, someone. Uh, so it's not that hmm. it's not like he actually likes one of them. So, who well, I mean, he... Tom Cruise does his own stunts, doesn't he, in the Mission Impossible movies? Um, Jack Reacher, etc. So yeah, I'd say that he would probably kill George Lucas. That he would <laughs> use, he would use, he would probably have that motorbike ready for him and Nicole Kidman to escape. So I think Tom now, Cruise would kill George Lucas and they would escape. Now, final answer. I, I, okay, I am, I am going to give you a parameter here. Uh, All they've got is what's in their pockets. Well, general, you Tom, general, you Tom Cruise has got in his pocket there. So. General, general pocket items, wallet, phone. Okay. The Bear in mind, they might not have signal. They don't really have time to call anyone. Um, they've just got to get out and go. What does George Lucas have? George Lucas, he's got a whole... 
<laughs> he's got a whole load of weapons. He's got machetes. He's got knives. He's, he's got guns. It depends what he wants to use on the day. Obviously, uh, we're not going to go too too far and say he's got he's got a tank and he's got a million missiles and stuff like that. He's but basic basic hunter killer. Basic hunter killer. Basic um, hunter killer. I still yeah. think Tom Cruise would would get away, but in the process, we're with Nicole Kidman, but in the process would probably somehow bring a building down on him with a set of car keys yeah, and, and a mobile phone. I right. think Tom Cruise Tom Cruise was so cool, he'd probably phone phone to tell, because if, if you assume Nicole Kidman isn't his wife in this scenario, he would probably phone his wife and say, I'm going to kill George Lucas. <laughs> I just want you to know that. And then hang up and use the actual mobile phone and frisbee it down his throat. I think that's what would be, you know, and and his his ass would be playing sat nav. I think that's what would probably happen. George Lucas does not fucking win this, basically. If Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are there, you know. Anything you want to add, Nick? You said Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I was going to say that she was going to use Tom Cruise as a decoy and try to escape while he... Well, he distracts George Lucas, but you know. What was the point of the fucking bike? You said the bike. No one else. There's, the there, there's no bike. Does George Lucas have a motorbike? Um, let's just say there's no vehicles available. There's to the no team. vehicles at all, so and, they have to run. Yeah. Right. They're on foot. They're running. Don't forget, forget the bike forget. and the car keys then. Bike if, keys. If, if they've got limited resources, then the the best strategy would be. Obviously, a ranch is quite an open area, so there's probably going to be very few places to hide, unless they're in the building itself. But there probably won't be that many places to hide, so one of them's going to have to be... There's potentially a forest on this ranch. Okay, so the idea would be to get... The goal would be to get to the forest. So they make a plan where one of them's a decoy, I reckon Nicole Kidman would suggest Tom Cruise, as maybe he's in better shape at this point in time. Depends on when this happens. So I reckon Tom, Tom Cruise would be the decoy, distracting... They always have a phase on each other, though, don't they, in the movie? So I think Nicole Kidman <laughs> would probably get with George Lucas, and then both of them Not would when, hunt down well. Tom Cruise. I don't think Tom Cruise is surviving this now. I'm, I'm going to refine this for next week, so there's a, there's a few more clear parameters. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, maybe this should have been something you could have said, OK, for next week, you've got to do this. Well, to, well think of another celebrity for next week, both of you. I've got, a few, I've got a few in my head. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. But, but no, I've got cracking. Like me and Darren are going to pick the same ones. You can't pick the same one. It has to be different every week. <laughs> no, I don't pick the same one, I don't, I don't I'm the same one every week. I'm choosing Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise in order to survive. Or oh, his twin brother, Crom Twos. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I meant like from obviously if we're thinking of characters who would survive in this situation, we probably yeah. we probably pick similar characters from the point of view. I'm not going to name names because it gives away who I'm going to pick. But you know, we probably think of people who we know are good in a fight mm, and or, 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 or can run really. People fast. people who are good in fights don't necessarily the, escape the George Lucas uh, kill ranch. That's true. Yeah. But, but you'd think that if they're good in a fight and they're quite physically fit, they could probably escape into the forest. Depends it's on what not real, by the way. It's not real. If you, if you, if you you want me to think about it, if you want me to think about it, this is how you're going to go with it. Yeah, you're going to go with it. Uh, I like how you're just balls to the wall, all in this. Why not? It is real to me, right? That's why, that's no. why, I, said, that's why I said I want George Lucas to have a lightsaber. It sounds more real. Well, uh, I am, for, for this for this episode, I am going to go with... I'm, I'm not going to go with either of you. I think fucking George Lucas is too much of a madman. He's going to fucking kill both of them, to be honest. Oh, right. Um, okay. So we'll have to see whether someone escapes next week. But no, I think they're both dead, to be honest. Oh, well. Uh, Nicole Kidman, she's... I reckon she's in high heels. She's running. She, she can't really run. She... 
Apparently she most of her stunts are done by stunt doubles. Um, well, she's very tall anyway, so she's yeah. not going to really hide. True, exactly. That's also that. organic. Hence but the decoy. Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's, he does. He does all his own, all of his own stunts. But how much is that just for show? Does he doesn't go out on a general weekend trying to fly a plane, fucking up in the sky? Does he? Doesn't try and jump out of. I think he got pilot's license. Yeah, I think he yeah, has. Yeah, but how often is he really using that? To be honest, I but there's no just, planes there. Isn't it? Reckon, there's I no planes on his ranch, so I reckon that's just for films. Oh, he, he needs vehicles. It. That's what he needs. He needs vehicles. Yeah, exactly. He's useless if he's exactly. Yeah. His hand-to-hand combat as well. I mean, George Lucas is definitely taller than Tom Cruise. He's 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 got a high ground. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Yeah. Like this in the window. So I think, yeah, I think George Lucas has got this. But I think, if it was I reckon, Mission Impossible 2 Tom Cruise, though, when he does all the martial arts. It's just general Tom Cruise. Damn. I know. All right, that being said, uh, I believe that's the end of the show. Uh, but no, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, again, I've been Rob. We've had Darren. We've had Nathan here as your co-hosts. Uh, we shall see you next week for The Incredible Hulk. So please go uh, send us an email at I can't believe I just watched this at gmail.com. Uh, email us if you want us to talk about anything in particular. Head on over to our Instagram page, uh, which is uh, I can't believe I just watched this. Also, go shout us out there. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Uploading on Instagram as to when this is out, which will be sometime this week. Uh, but no, brilliant. Uh, any last regards, anyone? Just a big thank you to anybody who listens, because yeah. as you can tell, we're all amateurs at this. I guess everybody is uh, starting off, but it would be great if people can voice their opinions. Uh, follow the link to the Gmail email address that Rob has just given you, and uh, hopefully support us in the coming months as well, the COVID months. It would, it would be interesting as well to see what people put like if what they want us to talk about because that could yeah definitely but no brilliant cheers everyone see you later